This is the MLW Radio Network. Time to start your day the right way with front row material. Starring ECW legends Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whitbrick. Now, let's welcome your host, Mike Freeland. Welcome to another special edition of Front Row Material. I am not Mike Freeland. I am the Rit. And as always, we are filling in for Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipwreck. And tonight we have a special guest here. Uh, we got a two-time Hall of Famer and the UFC and Impact Wrestling, Mr. Ken Shamrock. Ken, how you doing, man? Good. How you doing, man? Yeah, you missed you missed the Luthez uh, Hall of Fame. Oh, oh, well, damn! Three time, <laughs> three time Hall of Famer. Yep. Man, you're you're just collecting Hall of Fame trophies left and right, and they're all well deserved. Still got one more to go. Well, hopefully we get that in the next couple of years. Right. So. But, uh, man, uh, how have you been doing uh, during this whole pandemic thing now that we're kind of on the other side of it? Yeah, you know, just like everybody else, just trying to, you know, feel your way around things and keep yourself interested in something. I've watched a lot of TV series, but fortunately, the last probably a month, two months, I've been traveling quite a bit because they've lifted a lot of the the non-travel. So I've been able to travel quite a bit. So uh, let's hope it stays that way. And, uh, and and you were actually a little busy uh, doing uh, tapings, weren't you, for Impact uh, during the pandemic, off and on? Yeah, that I haven't done that for a while. Um, now I'm actually doing uh, more of my business with meet and greets, but also have a a, a fight, a bare knuckle fight league called Valor BK, and that we're working a working a lot on that. Um, we're going to be making a big announcement in the next week or two uh, when our next fight is, where it is. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm kind of been working on that. I'm excited about the upcoming card. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you got, you, you sit there in career has come across a long way, expanded over what, four decades now. <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, Hey, you still look amazing, you know, for uh, your age, you know, mm-hmm. And to stay in shape, it's a 24-7 job. You know, you got to eat right. You got to get hit the gym. So, you know, how do you do it? It's commitment. You know, I, I it's, a, it's a lifestyle. I think a lot of people do it because they have to, you know, in their in their job, like football or, or wrestling or, you know, fighting. A lot of people do it because, you know, it makes them better. For me, I started when I was 13 years old. And I fell in love with lifting weights. I love the way it made me feel. And uh, I still do. So it can be, it's just a lifestyle. Uh, a lot of people sit there and think that you actually made the transition from MMA to wrestling. But doing a little research, didn't you start your career off in wrestling? Yeah, a lot of people don't know it because I went as Vince Torelli, Mr. Wrestling Vince Torelli. So a lot of people don't know that uh, can, and then of course in Japan I went as Wayne Shamrock, so um, I went under two different names as I was doing my early career in pro wrestling, 
So it, uh, whenever you pull up Ken Shamrock Wrestling, it doesn't pull up the Vince Torelli or the Wayne Shamrock. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what got you into wrestling uh, at a young age? I think, uh, you know, I played football. Uh, I wanted to go pro, but I broke my neck at uh, 17. So that even though I played college ball, I did well. I couldn't really get anybody to take a shot with the university on me or anything. So um, that kind of faded. I got a chance to play the Chargers. I got a tryout letter to go do a tryout. Um, at that time, uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Nelson Royals Wrestling School. So instead of doing the football, I chose wrestling because I felt, <clears throat> you know, in that direction. And, and even though I was, I wanted to play in the NFL. As you start to grow, you start realizing what your what your gifts are. Even though I was a great football player and probably could have played, I just felt like me as an individual betting on myself and not a team, I could go farther. And as you can see, you know, your career as by yourself, a solo guy, has turned out pretty well, I, I would say. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely do not regret my decision at all. So, uh, growing up, you know, did you watch wrestling? Did somebody get you into wrestling? And, and and who were some of your favorites? Yeah, I remember early on, I never got to watch much TV. I was in and out of juvenile hall and in and out of placements on the run. So, at a young age, I didn't watch much. But there was there was some matches, and I don't they might have been reruns, but I remember watching Pat Patterson, Moondog, Maine. And there was some bloodbaths. <laughs> yeah. And at a young kid, you don't, you know, you don't know the gimmick. You know, you're just like, damn. <laughs> so for me, the experience early on was pretty impressive because the way I grew up, you know, uh, fighting all the time, to me, that was cool. Like, I thought that was cool. You could do that to somebody, you know. So um, as I grew up, I became more violent um, in football, wrestling. I, I, I channeled it into something positive, and then that's how I was to get a long way because I was, <laughs> I was a an angry kid, man. You could walk up to me, an adult or a kid, and if you came up to me and you said something to me that made me mad, I'd hit you. <laughs> like, just hit. You. I didn't care if it was an adult. <laughs> so, so okay, you, you have all that anger, and, and so what? You know, who, did somebody come up to you and? you know, kind of work it. Hey, you got something here. Let's channel it for the good. Or, you know, did, did someone come up to you or did you have to learn the hard way? No, I mean, like it was a transition because I was on the street and living out of a car and I had gotten stabbed uh, at 10 years old. Once I got stabbed, I, I uh, ended up in the hospital and they fingerprinted me. And because I was on the run, uh, I had strong arm robbery, um, breaking in and entering Oh, um, a bunch of stuff. I mean, I robbed probably 10 stores. Um, so I had a pretty record, pretty big record at 10 years old. So obviously I got fingerprinted. I got popped, ended up in the system, which is the best thing that could have ha happened to me. And then from that point on, I just, you know, went into the Bob Shamrock system. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really, that's where I really started to understand what it was like to be cared for, have structure, have rules, discipline, chores, uh, and then know who, what my productivity was. Like he literally goes, you're, <laughs> you got no fear kid. And he, so he put me in football, put me in wrestling. 
taught me how uh, to play sports, the coaches. Um, it was, it was a struggle at first because I would, I would get fouled quite a bit. And even in wrestling, I would cross face guys, but I punch them. And <laughs> so you get in trouble for that. So it, it, it took me a while to understand the reward for playing within the rules, like getting your hand raised, like yeah. and you're, you're above that guy. So the reward for that was much better than the reward for not winning, like getting penalized, even in football and hitting somebody late and you get penalized, cost your team to lose. So all those feelings and structure in sports helped me understand how to live in life. Because if I understood the rules and the landscape of whatever I was doing in life, I could do whatever I wanted as long as I stay within those rules. And so I correlated life and football and wrestling and sports. And that's how I lived it. That's, I mean, sports, life, sports, life. Yeah. And, you know, as you can see, especially in your, you know, UFC career, your hand was raised a lot more than it wasn't. Right. Yeah. Early on, you know, you could pretty much guarantee my hand was getting raised all the time. Um, obviously as, as, <laughs> as years go on, you know, you, you you start losing that edge, and you don't want to. You don't want to think you're losing that edge. Yeah. People ask me all the time, "Do why do you keep fighting?" And I tell them, I said, "You know, I broke my neck when I was 17, mm -hmm. and I remember the determination after I was told I'd never play contact sports again. I remember the determination in my head was like, you can't tell me that. Like that ain't that's not reality to me. And so against everybody who said you can't do that because I broke my neck. I got bone took out of my hip, fused in my neck, and I had a halo on where my head didn't move for almost a year. I was in a chest plate with bars to my head. And when I moved, my hips had to move in order for my upper body to move. I mean, I didn't move. And so it took me a long time to get back to that. But it was this right here when people were telling me, you know, dude, you can't do that. Like, you can't go play football. You got a broken, you, you got bones in there, not cartilage. You got bones in there that are fused in your neck and you can't turn your head. How are you going to, you can't tell me, man, because that's what I wanted to do. And so I went out and played football. I played college football. I went on to wrestle. I went on to be a fighter. Everything they said I couldn't do, I did. So then when I get to the end of my career, People wonder, well, why didn't you just stop? And it's like, do you understand the only way I know when I am done is if I know it. I have to know it because I've always been able to overcome anything. And so for someone to tell me, dude, you got to, I'd have been unhappy if I'd have left when people told me to leave. I would have not been satisfied because I would have thought I left something there. I didn't completely leave it all out there. And so when people keep asking me that, and I know that they think I did, but that was because I had to know I had no more left. Yeah. And, you know, when you sit there and are told like you, you were over and over again, you can't do something that, that heart you have is, is going to sit there and say, no, I'm going to, and I'm going to prove it to you. And then once you accomplish that, it's like, okay, I can do it. Now I'm going to keep doing it. And, you know, and just continue because, you know, there's for a fighter, there's no quit. And we get to a point to where you can't anymore, especially with somebody like the determination. I have you flip a switch and you go. Nothing's going to stop you. 
it's difficult for for th this typical character person uh, personality to to say when is when um it, it takes us probably a lot longer to know it's over than someone that's probably doesn't have the same determination yeah so going from your early wrestling career how did the jump to okay ufc and that, now we're not talking like everybody knows ufc now we're talking early ufc and that's when i like i'm like man this stuff's amazing you know you uh dan severn hoist gracie yeah uh, oleg tektarov you know the the early guys like how did that come about to okay now we're going to start some mma here yeah um you know, my transition was just, a, it was a desire to, desire to challenge myself more. Because if you think about where I started from, I started out at Buzz Sawyer's Wrestling School in Sacramento. Buzz ended up passing away. So then I moved to Mooresville, North Carolina, from Sacramento, California to Mooresville, North Carolina. I go to train up there. And few months in, you know, uh, probably about six to eight months in, I'm actually carrying the strap. I mean, I picked it up fast. I was doing well. I had an opportunity then at that point to go into Japan and one year in and go to Baba's group. And so I wrestled there. And it was a challenge because their style was much different than what I was used to. It was register, but keep going. So it took me a while to figure that out. I remember practicing with the young boys, but it was challenging. So I knew that I wanted to do it. By the time I left there, I was, I was getting really good. But then my time was up, right? So I got sent back. And so I started doing the program a little bit there. And then I saw this thing that they call hybrid wrestling. And it was UWF. And it was uh, Maeda, uh, Takata, and Fujiwara. And it was the, a group of these guys. And I remember the tape that I watched was, was Funaki and, uh, and Suzuki. And I remember um, Dean Malenko put a tape in and showed me these two guys fighting. I'd never seen anything like this before. These guys were open hand striking. They were kneeing. They were kicking. They were taking each other down. They were choking. They were doing this weird leg stuff. And that was like, I was so intriguing because I was a fighter. I was a boxer. I was a wrestler. And I was a street fighter. I won a bunch of tough men. So I, I was a fighter. And so wrestling was cool, but it just felt like I needed more. When I saw this, I was like, I want to do that. And Dean goes, hey, dude, these guys are, this is real. They're, they're hitting me. They're going at it. The ending's predetermined, but they're beating the crap out of each other in between the bell. And I said, yeah. He goes, are you sure? And I go, yeah. So he sends me to Tampa, and I try out there, and I beat everybody up down there. And uh, so then after, I would say, uh, maybe two weeks, uh, Sammy, who was the one that was the booker for Japan at the time, was in, in Tampa and watched me work out said, hey, you want to go to Japan, uh, you know, and, and go up there and, and try out? I was like, yeah. So they sent me up there. And I remember the first thing I did, I go with those young kids, and, and I started thumping them, just throwing around. Because like I said, I had good wrestling ability. I was a tough kid on the street. I could punt. So I thumping these guys all over the place. And I'm feeling pretty good going, shoot, man, is this is awesome. Well, then I walked Suzuki and Funaki. And I, I remember seeing them and I was like, that's those kids. And I was like, okay, I'm a little tired, but that's all right. Cause I'd already gone for about 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they come walking in. And so Sammy goes, Hey, 
Suzuki, you want to go with them? Of course, it was hard to understand, right? And so I see him walk up, and Suzuki goes about 180 pounds. And I was like, toss his kid around. So I get going, but I'm throwing him around. And next thing I know, I like, he's standing over me, and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> I got I got choked and I never like I said I didn't know what it felt like to be choked. Uh, and I so I'm looking around going what happened? And he goes, Yeah, it's all right, you get choked. And I was like, Wow. So I go in some more and he he and I'm I'm manhandling this guy, but every time I put him where I want him, he gets me in a leg lock or an arm or gets to choke, and I'm like, dang. So then comes Suzuki uh, comes in Fanaki after I roll with uh, um Suzuki for a while. Now they want me to go with with Fanaki, and I'm like, I mean, like, I ain't saying no. And so Fanaki goes, he's a big, he's about 205, about my height, 6'1", mm-hmm. a little taller. I was like, okay, here we go. And I go at him hard again. Same thing, man. I never, never in my life as as a, an adult been handled like that. So it was an eye-opener for me. But the, 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 the what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that now I went from wrestling – into hybrid wrestling, I get the shot to fight. I win my first one, which is the end is predetermined. But but in between that, I mean, I did well enough to be able to go against Fanaki in my second one, and we went like forty six minutes with a two fall or a two submission. First one, they got the first two, so it was a two out of three fall, not pins, but, but submissions or, mm-hmm. or 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 a technical knockout would win. And so we went like 46 minutes. I remember um, he got the first one, I got the second one, and then he got the third one. So he got the win. And I remember thinking to myself, I love this stuff. I was so locked in on this. And then I started doing well, started traveling up the ranks. Um, I was probably one of the tougher kids there. And I, I was rising up. But then it was like, man, I wanted more. Well, the company broke up. So then I went with Fujiwaragumi because Sammy went there and then Fanaki and Suzuki went that way. So I followed them and we got there and then it felt like we were going backwards. Like we were having to put over guys that, you know, were a little bit older and they, they couldn't move as well. I remember a couple of times I was asked not to punch and not to strike because I was in with some guys that couldn't take it. Right. And they were older and they were, they were superstars over there. And it just felt, and I didn't mind it, but it just felt like I want, I just, I felt like the inside of me wanted to bust out. Like I want, I want more. And so I remember Fanaki came to me, Fanaki and Suzuki came to me and said, Hey, we're thinking about starting a, a new organization. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, he goes, we want it to be real. He says, you like that? <laughs> like, what do you mean real? He goes, I mean, like the, who wins wins the guy really should win wins like no no none of this um, you know uh guy gets his hand raised i was like yes <laughs> i'm in and uh that's how pancreas was developed was you know we turned pro wrestling real because you had rope escapes and you had you know kicks and punches and submissions and so it, it was literally what wrestling looked like if you turned it real and that was pancreas and I became the first champion there. I mean, I excelled at that. But it was like, you know, I was on top of the world. I mean, like, this was the first mixed martial arts, and I was a champion. I was getting paid well, and everything was great. But when I saw this UFC thing, I was like, okay. I didn't believe it was real in the first place. 
But I thought to myself, what a concept. Like, think about that. Like, it's a street fight. Like, you come in and fight however you want to fight, and you come in and fight however you want to fight, and there are no rules, no time limit. I'm like, that's an interesting concept, but it ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's like, this is back in 93? Yeah, yeah. Really. So yeah, yeah. you're like, mm, yeah, that's not happening. But I said, I'll, okay, I'll do it. And I remember talking to Art Davies and telling him who I was. And I do the champion. I'm over in Japan. I'm the mixed martial arts champion. And, of course, this is the kind of system that the Gracies were setting up, right? No one saw it before. But I was doing it over in Japan. Much different without a gi, right? So I didn't, didn't never saw the gi thing. Yeah. So I'm like, go to Japan three days before Denver, thinking to myself, it ain't going to happen. So I'm going to go to Japan, defend my title. I knocked Fouquet out with a knee. We jump on a plane. Fouquet comes with me after I knocked him out. He jumps on. Uh, it comes and works my corner along with the doctor from Japan, my dad. And we show up, but in our heads, we're like, they're going to come to us and say, okay, you can only punch to the body, <laughs> you know, something. But when we first saw the first fight, Gerard Godot and the sumo, he kicked him right in the face, brother. He hit him with the punch, kicked him in the face, and it was on. From that point on, in my body, inside my heart, I was like, this is for real. And I, I was excited because I was like, I mean, you can't get more real than this. No, I mean, no. You can't. And I just thought to myself, I've gotten arrested for this stuff and got in trouble my whole life for doing this, and now they're going to pay me? I raise my hand. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love how, like, like you said, the early UFC, there was there was no no rules. You know, but, but there was what no groin kicking, no fish hooking. Yeah, you know? but you got fined. Like yeah. they didn't stop the fight, and if you no. did it, you couldn't continue. You won, <laughs> so it you didn't know? it didn't make any sense to me. But oh, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and and then there was no weight limits like like that first match you you were you know speaking about that weight limit like was huge. Yeah, but that, but that guy came right at him. Boom! Welcome to the UFC. And like, hey, we opened the world up to everyone. Like this is for because if it had been me with with Pat with Patrick Smith mm -hmm. or Hoist with Art Jimerson, they would have crapped on. They would start. They would have been angry because they were like, "What is this pro wrestling?" But because it was Gerard and it was a punch and a kick to face, everybody understood that. So I think that was definitely a blessing that myself or Hoist didn't lead it off because people didn't understand that. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, like you said, you, you were skeptical. You're like, hey, it's probably just going to be body shots, no hits to the face. Yeah. But but as soon as you've seen that, that first, you know, punching kick, you're like, it's I was open. like, yes, it's, okay, I'm in. <laughs> it's open season, you know. And uh, you, you had a great early UFC career, you know. I'm not saying that, that the later stuff was good, but I'm talking about you were you were unbeatable, you know. You, you had some epic matches against Dan the B. Severn. Uh, you know, that t tell us about going in the, in the ring against uh, – or the octagon against him. Yeah, Dan was – I mean, when you watched him, he was he was amazing, right? I mean, like, he was taught. Anthony Macias, the poor kid, 
he got suplexed seven times or something. He only weighed a buck fifty, and and Danny Danny just kept throwing him like it was a a potato sack, and I was like, oh, somebody stop this. Uh, and it was it was it really showed people the ability of what it was like to be in a fight, like literally not kickboxing or rule, but a fight and what it looks like when you get two guys in there that can fight. It just, it, it was so, it was so captivating. And what they were able to do uh, was bring that to the forefront. And it showed people also too, the reality of what people keep talking about when someone fights, Oh, you're going to kill them. Oh, somebody's going to get killed. You can't kill a human being that easy. And and man, if anybody could, when Dan was throwing that throwing that guy <laughs> around, like Dan's a uh, a, a friend of, of my fiance's family, and you know I was I I talked you know him about early UFC you know a lot, and it's just like he he said if he would have learned back then how to punch, he's like he thought it would have been a lot better for him. He, he would have been unstoppable. Because he had the, like, the yeah. wrestling down pat. Yeah. It's just he's like, I didn't know how to punch. Yeah. You know, but coming, you know, with you, you're a, we're going full speed ahead, you know, guns are blazing, fist are flying. Well, if you look for me and Dan did that that fight, the first one, um, I mean, we hit a little bit, but we tied up. And I chose not to. I mean, I could have outstruck him easy. There's no question. I was, I've been, I did Muay Thai over in Japan. So yeah, we were leg kicking him. I could have been punching him, but I thought because of his ability of taking people down off of strikes and stuff like that, I just eliminate him. Let's just tie up and let's see who got the best grappling ability. And that was my whole concept going into that fight was don't, don't try to strike him too much and get out of position because he's going to get you on the ground. He's going to, he's going to get on, he's going to time you. He's going to take you down. And then when he's on top of you, he's you ain't getting him off. So, so my whole concept was don't let him take you down because if he takes you down, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually was at one of his camps out in Michigan and he was showing the people like, if you distribute your weight evenly, you're done. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't get him off and stuff. But, yeah, Dan, uh, Dan, Dan, like I said, Dan had, you see, he tore through, I mean, he tore through, the tournaments. He did two of them, ultimate open. I don't think anybody's done that. Right. I mean, I think mm -hmm. he, he did the full circle. Yeah. Um, so he, like I said, for me to beat him, uh, it said a whole lot about how good I was. Uh, and, and it was not to take anything away from him because he came back, you know, even though it was, you know, our, our, our game plans kind of <laughs> sucked in the second one, but, yeah. but he was, a, he was a formidable opponent. And, and if I hadn't got that choke, uh, if he had to come back in on the second time and did it again, it would have been a much different fight. We would have battled all the way to the end. Yeah, and so you're in the UFC early days. You know, uh, all of a sudden, who contacts you from WWE? It was a, actually a decision I had to make because I wasn't – at that time, the UFC was struggling. They were in and out of court all the time because of these political – uh, agendas that people were having and they want to get their name in TV and the UFC was popular. So by them walking down and picketing and trying to shut it down, these, these, these politicians would get their, their faces on TV. 
So it was really difficult for UFC everywhere they went. Bob Meyer was, was in court trying because we, they would accept it. We would get there and then they would basically picket it. They would sign petitions and then they would try to close it down. And so they were in court all the way up until the day of the fight, making sure that it didn't get shut down. One time it did get shut down and we had to fly to Dothan, Alabama in order to put the show on overnight. So they spent a lot of money uh, in legal fees and fighting the system and it, and it put them in a bad spot. And so when it put them in a bad spot, I wasn't able to get the money I needed to support my family and the, and the dojo that I had with the fighters. Um, so I had to go and do something else because I didn't want to shut my gym down and, and the fighters that were following their dreams, they wouldn't have been able my brother, Jerry Bolander, guy, Mezger, well, guy was in Dallas, but he wasn't a part of the team. Um, and so we had a lot of fighters that were in the dojo that all were pretty good and they wouldn't have been able to train. And so I sacrificed my my time in order to keep that gym open so those guys could train and still follow their dream. And, uh, you know, also I got to support my family. My family comes first. And if I can't do what I love doing and support them, I have to do something else. So I went into pro wrestling. I had the opportunity to do that. But I looked all over. I was WCW, never heard back from them. Um, um, in, in New Japan, um, did hear some stuff, but never bit. And I'm not sure if they would or wouldn't, but all I know is, is that we were putting feelers out and I know people were interested, but the minute Vince, when we when contacted Vince and said, Hey, Ken wants to do pro wrestling, Vince immediately brought me in, called me up and said, Hey, how'd you like to come down to Connecticut? Oh yeah. Was on Monday night, I think Monday Night Raw, when I kind of faced off with Farouk, the first time I was seen on there. Mm -hmm. Vince didn't let one day go by once he knew I wanted to be in pro wrestling. He saw an opportunity to be able to take me and bring in this tough attitude, personality, and character. And I think, you know, because of my character, because of my personality, because of where I came from with that no holes barred, bare knuckle fighting a mentality and I was a world champion coming in there changed the dynamic of what people were watching in pro wrestling. It was like, well, where'd this guy come from? And then they start researching and they find out where I come from. And then you got stone cold, Steve Austin and Bret Hart and all these attitudes started to change. All these attitudes started to add into WWF. Vince started creating this world of the attitude era. Vince created that through bringing me into the WWF. And that's why they call it the attitude error. And I thought it was genius. I mean, it was, you've seen it just trickle through the whole wrestling room into the fans. It just spilled over. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I'm, listen, uh, just my opinion, nobody fry me over this, but my opinion is I think that was one of the best generations of all time. Attitude error. Oh, the, it, without a shadow of a doubt, that was when wrestling was the hottest that I have ever seen. And uh, we have a question from uh, Liam Savage. I'll put it up on the screen here. It actually is about your debut. Uh, when you debuted on Raw, uh, did you think it was kind of overshadowed by the ECW invasion? And was you okay with it? Yeah, I thought ECW was different. Um, excited. I, mean, I thought it was, those, those dudes were crazy. 
Um, probably something I would have done, <laughs> you know, run through Bob wire, get lit up on fire, <laughs> jump through a table 20 feet up. It was exciting. And, uh, I thought those guys brought a different element to wrestling, but I, I think you gotta be honest with yourself. Nothing was going to overshadow the attitude error. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think the question, you know, he was trying to get was, you know, your debut the same night as they did the invasion on raw. Oh, I you got it. Yeah. No. It didn't matter because I think it was an introduction. Um, when I did my match with Vader, everybody was watching. So, you know, it, it, that was my introduction. Me being out there standing in the audience was no big deal. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Vader in there. And, and Vader has been known to, you know, lay, lay him in there pretty good. Yes. You know, uh, what was your, you know, first match like with Vader, you know, going in there? Because I'm sure, you know, if you laid him in there, you were going to lay him right back in there. Well, let's just say this. Me and Vader had an understanding that um, he was going to allow me to be me and I was going to allow him to be him. And uh, we went out and had a hell of a match that, that I can tell you. And it was over and he was, he gave me a hug and said, good job, brother did good. And I'm again, I was green, right? Even though I wrestled a little bit before, this was a whole different world because I've been out of it for a few years. Mm-hmm. Well, for coming back to it and, and and having that first match with Vader, man, that was a blessing. Because if I'd have been with anybody else, I'd have never wrestled again. <laughs> so Vader was a tough, tough dude. Uh, so I even broke his nose. Like it was an accident. He was coming down. I was throwing a knee up, and I didn't, I didn't tell him. Right? I mean, I just because I was sparring with him basically. Yeah. And he was sparring with me and he hit me with a hard shot one time. And I hit him with the knee and we, bust, we busted each other up. And then afterwards we were like, hey, that was a great match, dude. But at that time I also got pulled aside by Brett and, and then he said, dude, you know, I was really good. The people bought that. It was great start. He said, but you can't work with everybody like that. Uh, and I said, okay, I get, I get it. Cause I wrestled before, but it was great to get my feet wet with, and not have to worry about if I was going to hurt somebody. Yeah, and, and and Vader being your first, you know, dance partner, you know, to get back into things, that that was picture perfect. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Brett, you were in there on what most people say might have been one of uh, the top five best WrestleMania matches of all time, Brett and Stone Cold, and that I Quit match, and you seen that dance firsthand, you know. What was your opinion of the match overall and, you know, having them put you in there with your background, like you're, you're, you're the authority in this match? Well, it's exactly, I think, what Vince was trying to do. He wanted his wrestlers to be a believable. And by me being in there and, and refing that match made Stone Cold and Steve Austin badasses. And they already were, right? Like, but you – when you put me in the mix, now it elevates them like, okay, these guys are legitimate tough guys, but they're not getting the recognition they deserve. You put me in there now, refereeing that match, and now they're now they're looking at him differently, like these guys can really fight. And so I'm and I was worried about doing the match because I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't know if I can fake this stuff. I don't know if I can act like, oh, hey, you okay, dude? Oh, yep. And I, so I had no clue about how I was going to do this. And the match gets started, man. And, and it's like, it's like, it, I, I mean, you couldn't tell, I couldn't tell 
um, they weren't beating the hell out of each other. I mean, I thought they were beating the hell out of each other. It was like me and Vader's match. And I was like, these guys are okay. I can do this. <laughs> and uh, the, the finish, you know, is etched into everybody's minds. You know, it's still shown on Monday Night Raw. What did you think about the, the finish? And can you give us a little insight of who's the one that came up with that finish? Yeah, you got to explain to me the finish because it was a minute long. <laughs> uh, the, the, the one where Stone Cold, uh, he didn't quit. He, he he passed out with the blood loss and everything. Yeah, and then there was a suplex after that. So like I said, there was a string of things that happened there um, that really set the tone for Stone Cold's turn, Brett's turn, my rise. Um, there was a lot going on there. And, and, it, and it, I, in my opinion, it changed the face of wrestling. That match changed the face of wrestling. It began the Attitude Era uh, with Stone Cold and Bret Hart, and then it just trickled down to everyone else. Um, with me being in that match, it gave it, it, gave it um, legitimacy. Like, you know, and then when those guys put the match on that they did, shit, there was, there, there was no going back from that. I mean, the crowd went nuts. And, you, and again, it, people could not tell the difference. Um, of whether or not they were doing it for real or not doing it for real. They were, they went after each other and they made a point to make sure that it did not look fake because I was in that, in there with them. And there was no way those guys wanted anybody to think that they weren't doing it for real. Yeah. And you know, so you had the world's most dangerous man moniker, which is at one point in time and possibly still now as true as true can be. Was that something that you pitched to Vince or, you know, did Vince sit there and say, hey, uh, this is what we're going to call you? Yeah, I came in with my name. I was known as Ken the Rock Shamrock early on in the UFC. And then there was a special that went on after I was the champion. And they were they were basically finding the world's most dangerous animals, the food, places. There's a lot of these things that we were finding out that were dangerous and the world's most dangerous person or man. And uh, so they were going through all these different people. And um, I, I know when they asked me about it, I said, hey, you know, um, we've been researching and trying to find out who we think, because at that time I was a champion in the United States with the UFC, and I was also the champion in Japan. And so um, they were looking for this, who's the most dangerous man in the world. And through all the boxing, through everything that they saw, I was it. They chose me. And so they did the special. And I remember thinking at the time in the UFC where it was very controversial, like people didn't like what we were doing. Um, they were saying we were animals, you know, we didn't, we were going to kill somebody. And I remember thinking to myself and we didn't get good press. And I'm thinking to myself, they're going to burn me. I got kids. And they want to come to my house. They want to go to my gym. And I'm like, mm, I don't want them to focus on me. And I remember asking questions Said, no, no, trust me. We want to put a face. We want to put a character and we want a personality to who you guys are. So people can relate to you. And I was like, sounds like a pitch, but I said, okay. And so when we shot it and they shot the first scene with my kid with boxing head gloves on and we were sparring with each other and he was only 10 years old. Um, and he jumped on and wrestled and they were shooting that. And I remember seeing the finished product and I was like, okay, this is good. Because what it did was it showed everybody 
that we were no different than anybody else. We had kids, we had a wife, we had bills, we ate the same, we had things. We just, we had a different job. And so we loved, you know, we cried. I mean, we were just as human as everybody else, but that's what it needed to be. So people could go, dang, they're not bad. You know, it's kind of like the boogeyman. <laughs> you never seen him, but you think he's bad. You never met him. <laughs> yeah. So I think it, it really did help um, really get people a face and a character to be able to see it and go, it ain't bad. You're just trying to pay the bills and take care of your family. That's right. all you're trying to do. I just do it differently. Yeah. So when does, you know, you have a feud coming up with The Rock. For the intercontinental title strap you know how did it feel when vince said hey we're gonna put this we're putting the title on you you know and you're going up against a young rock who's just coming into this prime right then yeah we were we were both working off one another um i thought we both really helped each other really get to the pinnacle in our careers um i know we he was with the nation. He was just being overlooked. But man, once you gave him the mic, man, that dude shined. And that was an honor for me to be uh, working with him, helping him grow his career as he helped me grow mine. Um, but we had some tremendous matches. I remember taking a chair shot. and He was just like, I ain't in your face. I said, if you don't, I ain't selling it. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll hit you in the face. <laughs> and he hit me. <laughs> oh, man. So – you know, when they finally put the title on you, well, what are your thoughts? Are, are you, you know, are you thinking, man, they, they, they believe me. They're getting ready. They want to take me to the next level. You know, what's going through your head? Yeah. You know, um, it's always exciting to be able to get the strap. Right. I mean, you're like, yeah. But in my head, I was like, you know, like I've done every everywhere. It was almost like just it wouldn't be satisfied unless I was able to reach the top, you know, get the world championship because everything I've ever done, I've captured that and I've been able to get there. And so winning that strap was that, that was the first part of the journey, the tag team, the intercontinental king of the ring, um, you know, rookie of the year, um, all these things. I accomplished everything, man, but yet I couldn't, I never got a chance to get the championship belt. And it just, it was frustrating to me because I felt like I had so many, so many guys I could have worked with, built programs with, um, been able to have title runs with, and it just felt like they just didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. And it's kind of disappointing that, you know, your, your rookie year, they strapped a rocket to your ass and took you to the moon. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh, you hit that glass ceiling, you know, we're just going to use you to put over other talent. And it's like, wait a minute here, you know, you, you put so much time invested so much money into me and I'm just being me. Why not go that extra mile? Yeah. You know, I'm sure they had the reason I know they didn't bring me in and pay me because they were going to bury me. I don't think that was it. I just think that maybe they just, Maybe it was because I, I, you know, they didn't have an idea of where or what to do with me or there was so much talent there. I mean, yeah. you look at it, there was a lot of talent, right? So maybe it was just waiting my time. Uh, unfortunately, I, 
I didn't, I couldn't sit around forever because I still had the itch to fight. Um, so, you know, I, I felt like I, I'd been there long enough. I didn't want to keep going in the direction that they were going with me. So I had to, I had to make a, an opportunity to, to step away and go do what I was itching to do. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, like, I can't remember if Dan, did Dan come in before you? No, Dan came in Dan after came I was after. there. And then he was there for one, we did one match. Then we did a dungeon where he's the referee and, and I was in the lion's in cage. Yeah. Seemed like they were teasing it, but it, just like all the other ones, except for the rock, just like the old, the only ones, they just fizzled out. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, you and Dan and WWE were complete opposites. Dan was quiet, you know, calm base and you were, you know, dynamite explosive, you know, showed a lot of emotion. And I think that's what really helped get you over like the unpredictability of damn, what's Ken going to do next? Is he going to snap? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it was, it was a fun run and I enjoyed it. In short time I was there, it was great. But you think about before Ken Shamrock and after Ken Shamrock, it was, I changed pro wrestling. I mean, they didn't, have, they didn't have tap outs. I mean, they had, I give up verbal tap out, but the tap out, nah, I brought that. Yeah. And my, uh, this is just my opinion. People might roast me. There's only ever been three pure natural athletes that ever went through WWE. You, Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. Yeah. And if you think about it, you three there, the accolades that you guys all have accomplished, like you picked up wrestling really, really quick. You know, Kurt picked it up really quick. Brock did the exact same thing. And for you to be able to turn on and off your fighter mentality is bar none, you know, amazing. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was fun to be able to work with, vader first right because it gave me an opportunity to go in and feel what i should be doing um and so and not especially in my first match in big crowds jittery you're excited and be able to know that you can go in and make a mistake and and, and the guy's going to be okay um you know but i did pick it up fast after that i was able to control everything i was able to still be intense and everything i did uh, looked snug and looked like real. So, cause I, I, I didn't want to be that guy that wanted people to sell something that, that didn't hit them. So I'd always tell them like, listen, hit me because if you don't, I'm not selling it. And so they didn't, <laughs> there was all, it was all music to their ears because they didn't have to throw a work punch uh, and hopefully it landed and said, no, hit me with it. I'm okay. I'll be okay. <laughs> so, you, you know, you didn't like the direction you were going. You, you got, you had that itch again. So did you contact uh, the UFC or the UFC contact you back? Yeah, no, I was actually doing uh, pride and then I got out of there and then I went down uh, to the UFC. They invited me down there and Dana White approached me and asked if I wanted to fight Tito. And uh, I just finished up my deal over in, in uh, pride 
and I was going to get knee surgery because I had some issues with the knees and stuff. Um, and I was, was like, well, yeah, sure, I can do it. I got knee surgery coming up, which I think it was a month before. And he looked at me and said, oh, man, we, we, we've got this fight coming up in two months, three months. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'll be ready. And he goes, dang, he goes, I'm, man, we really need you. And I was like, well, I mean, I've been fighting on this thing for a year. I can wait another fight. <laughs> it was stupid, <laughs> right? Okay, I'm going to fight Tito, one of the best fighters in the world. I don't need my knees. <laughs> so so I went and took the fight, and, and uh, the rest was history. But we, we I, I don't care what anybody says, man. Uh, me and Tito, we lit that place up. Our, our, the rival we had was second to none. We, we, made, we woke everybody up. Yeah, and uh, so what was your thoughts on first time being in UFC, no structure, no nothing. Now all of a sudden Dana White's got this uh, in his pocket, and he's getting ready to make this a you know a super conglomerate right there. Yeah, man, it was like they weren't doing shit, though, man. I mean, like, when I got there, they were dying. They were getting ready to close the doors. I mean, rumor was that if this they didn't turn it around, they were done. They were doing like under 30,000 buys when Tito was beating everybody. Tito didn't have anybody he could play off of. Like, you know, there's this nobody. And here he was. He had all this character, all this personality. He was a great champion. He was pound for pound, one of the best 205-pounder fighters ever, mm-hmm. I think. And I'm just thinking to myself, this this guy was beating everybody, but you couldn't get anybody to come watch him because he didn't have a he didn't have an adversary. And so when I came around and they actually offered the fight, I was like, dude, I was drooling because I was like, man, I could get into this. And, uh, and we did, we got into it, man. We just blew it up, but it was to see where it was at. It broke me because I, I was there in the beginning and I didn't want to see this thing fail because my legacy was part of that. Correct. And so I went ahead and did it, even though I knew that I probably shouldn't have, but to me, I wanted to fight. Somebody dangles a carrot in front of me, I'm going to take it. And uh, and that's just me when I talk about my when I broke my neck. It's, it, that's the person I am. My people need to understand that. I could have uh, uh, my, 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 my hand could be cut off, and I'll find a way to beat you, or at least I'll try. And that's just the character, right? So when they dangled that in front of me with Tito, I was like, I'm there. Let's do it. And uh, we started doing it, man. We got into each other's face. And, yeah, people say, man, that it was real and it was real. But I think people have to understand, and I keep telling them, and I, I don't know, for whatever reason, they don't want to believe me, but it wasn't personal. It never was personal. I wanted to make it personal because I felt like it got me into the mood of being able to fight. I've always been that way. Even beginning my career, you got me in that. You weren't going to stop me. Later on in my career with the injury and stuff, obviously I wasn't the same fighter. And I hear people, just get him mad. Just get him out. He'll get up. <laughs> you know, 20 years do that to me and see what you think. <laughs> and and uh, I can't remember correctly, but weren't you part of the Ultimate Fighter uh, TV series too, the coaches? Yeah, it was one of them. We actually broke all records. I mean, it was tremendous. And, uh, and that was the lead up too. like I said, me and Tito did a lot for the UFC to be able to blow open the doors. And don't get me wrong, Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner did a tremendous job. But I want, I want you to tell me before those two dudes fought, do you think people bought that or went to see that because they wanted to see Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin? 
No. <laughs> I mean, like, come on, people. <laughs> that place blew up because me and Tito, we did that before the show ever started. Yes, when those guys fought, they became superstars. And give them credit because they helped build the UFC. But don't think for a minute that they were the ones that kickstarted it. No, and I remember watching that, you know, live. And I watched it because I wanted to see if the old lion still had that, you know, left in the tank to take he out. He still that, had a roar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to, to take out that, that, that young up-and-comer, Tito Ortiz, who was, you know, taking care of everybody. Yeah. He, so, he, again, I thought he was one of the best 205-pounders ever. I think there's a lot of good ones, but he's up there with them. Yeah. And in my opinion, like that era of ultimate fighting UFC – if you want to talk feuds, it has to be you and Tito and then Chuck Liddell and Rampage. Like, oh, they're, yeah. the, they're the only two that I can sit there and, and say, I'm buying that because of those matches. Right. You know, those fights. But, uh, hey, Ken, I, I appreciate, you know, you coming, sitting down and talking with us. I got one last question, and it's one of my favorites. It's a hot tub time machine. Oh, okay. Nice. You can go back. I'm going to switch it up for you. You can go back in time to any UFC fight or wrestling match. Take somebody out and put yourself in that fight or match. Who would it be and why? Oh, boy. Um, I got a lot of them to choose through. Uh, I would probably say that... uh, I would I would say WrestleMania 13. Take out Stone Cold, put me in. Ooh, yeah. That yeah. That that Bret Hart, me, and I've always said that if they should have used me and Bret Hart, that the moves and stuff that we could have done on the mat, the the, the string of holds that we could have done, chain wrestling, stuff we could have done. <sighs> Man, we we missed it. We missed it. We missed a we missed a huge opportunity. Yeah, and man, and you guys could have did a, a whole summer series. You know, you guys could have built it up for for a whole year's worth of matches. And yeah, you, you never would have got sick because you guys would have just brought something new each time and brought the intensity up each level. It's been so much different than what everybody else was doing in the wrestling ring. Because a lot of you got ropes and off and this. And me and him would have went through so many chain wrestling moves and slams and different counters. It, it would have been beautiful. It would have been beautiful. Yeah. So, Ken, uh, I want to thank you for stopping by. We want to tell everybody where to get your merchandise. Where can they hit you up if they have any questions? Uh, you know, upcoming stuff. I, I know that you're getting pretty busy here soon with your, your own uh, MMA. So, uh, let them know. Yeah, and we're doing a show here pretty soon in January. Um, we will make an announcement in the next couple weeks. It's called ValorBK.com if you want to go check out our website. If you're a fighter and you want to fight for us, go there, fill out the form. If you want to get tickets to that fight, you can also go there. Once we make the announcement, we'll let you know where you can buy the tickets at. It's ValorBK.com. If you want to follow me personally, KenShamrock.com. I have all of my social media sites on there. You can hit me up there. And if you want to purchase a shirt, the Lion's Den shirt, a Valor shirt, 
You want to purchase cups, mugs, you name it. You go to my shopping cart on kinshamrock.com. I appreciate all you guys having me on, man. Thank you. Hey, Ken, I appreciate you uh, taking out some time and uh, talk to us. Uh, you know, this, this has probably been one of my most excited uh, interviews I've ever had because I followed your career from way back in 93 in the UFC, you know, all the way until now. And I must say you are still probably the most, world's most dangerous man and you're very intense. And you are, I found out, you have a big heart and don't tell you ever no, you can't do something. You, no. prove, every, you prove everybody <laughs> wrong. Yes, that is true. <laughs> so Ken, that, thanks for stopping by and uh, we'll sit there and talk to you. Uh, is there any way we could ever get you to come back for a part two? Because we have left so many holes ever in your career that we could sit there and talk probably for another two hours. Yeah, you know what, man? When we make the announcement in the next couple of weeks, man, you, we can circle back around in about six weeks and we can do something on the Valor Show and talk some more wrestling. Hey, I can. I appreciate the uh, the offer and the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely take you up on that. Right on, so, man. Hey, Ken, this is Ken Shamrock, not the two-time, the three-time Hall of Famer. <laughs> right. Say, thanks a lot, Ken. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. God bless. Yep, God bless. All right. Wow, man. There you go. Ken Shamrock, world's most dangerous man, three-time Hall of Famer. Man, that was a great interview. And right now, I will bring in my esteemed colleague. He is Mike Freeland. Wow. I tell you what, that was possibly the best interview I've, I've ever got a chance to listen to. Um, Ken is a, is a consummate professional. And the way he articulates himself and the way he describes, you know, not only his life experiences within wrestling, but in UFC, but the passion he speaks with as well is um, he paints that picture. He paints a, a beautiful picture. And I think that's what has made him so captivating for so many years in so many different areas. I mean, wherever he goes, it works. And, uh, Rit, I, you, you knocked it out of the ballpark. I tell you what, dude, I mean, you hit on so many great things. I could not be more proud of you, my friend. And I appreciate it, Freeland. Uh, man, there's just so much. I'm glad Ken's going to give us a second round. There is so much more we can sit and talk about with Ken and man, to be, be invited on, on his show. Oof, that's a privilege and an honor, Freeland. I tell you what, man, I t it, it's a true testament of not only who he is as a person, but the way you carried everything tonight, dude. I mean, I saw it. I watched it from, from where I was. And like I said before, I'm proud of you. You have done an amazing job. Um, you are just as much of the lifeblood of this as I am. And, uh, and I mean that with, with complete sincerity. Uh, Freeland, that means a lot to me. Uh, I might bust your balls, you know, over and over again but man without you there would be no me and without both of us there would be no future stars now this is true this is absolutely true um i you know it's so interesting when we get these guests that come on here because you can eat at liam savage you really can look at this guy can we kick him out Je jealous he is jealous look at that yeah i did miss it i missed it completely um Wow. But you know what? Most important thing is that the writ gave the audience 
everything and more. The questions were great. The interactions were great. The follow-up was great. And that's what it's all about is about giving the audience what they deserve. And you went above and beyond that, my friend. Thank you, Freeland. So next up, we have next Tuesday, 8 o'clock, we have my personal favorite, Encore. One of Mikey's grandkids, trained yes. by the great Amazing Red. That's at the 8 o'clock hour. Yes. 9 o'clock hour, we've got Mr. Ren Jones. He's going to stop by, talk wrestling. And then, of course, 10 o'clock, we've got the panel. What's going to happen on next week's panel? You never know. But you got to tune in to find out. You got to tune in. Yes. I'm, I'm going to mix it up. I You may see some different things next week on the panel. May, you may not. Some faces may be there. Some faces may be not. But that's the important thing is that we continue to deliver a product that we believe that you are going to deserve. Um, I, I will say this in closing before we go. The concept of Future Stars Now, which which is writ birthed that, um, I think that it is really awesome because so many names and so many faces are getting exposure um, to not only our audience, but a, a larger audience as well. We are getting people on here to tell their stories. Uh, people will look back at this and, and, you know, they say the Conrad model. Well, they'll be saying it's the RIT model because this right here is going to go to the stratosphere and back. Um, the Indies are hot. They've always been hot. They were hot before the pandemic. They're coming back. They're hot again. And we are lining up the greatest people right now for you to listen to. So I think this Tuesday night's going to be, it's going to be what they call a banger. I don't know why I can't, I can't say that and not like giggle like a kid, but uh, it's going to be a banger. I guess that means really good. But anyways, head on over to twitch.tv forward slash FRM pod. And do what, Freeland? Hit that follow button. All no, we no. Need... hit it. No, well, you we don't hit, oh, you don't hit right. that button. You don't no. hit that button, Freeland. You, what do you do to that button? You smash that button. Smash it. Smash it. And also, if you would be so gracious and open up your wallet, we understand times are tough right now. But if you'd hit that subscribe button as well, trust me, you're helping the Ritster. You're helping myself be able to continue to produce this great content um, because it's because of you that we're able to to do these things. But nothing's for free. And uh, we got to pay our own bills as well. But also, um, we have a great YouTube channel as well. So you can catch all these great exclusive interviews. All you got to do is go on over to our Twitch channel. And please hit the follow, hit the like button, um, hit the subscribe. So you get all notifications anytime a new FRM or FSN interview is available. You can catch them and um, enjoy the content as we continue to produce it. And this Ken Shamrock video will oh, be up, uploaded Monday by a great technician that takes care of all our YouTube video greats. So, just want to throw out a little shout out to him. Little shout out to uh, the man in the north. He's got a lot so, of boxes. A lot of boxes. Not really sure if he's a recycler or not, but I'm not sure. But, man... Just to let you guys know, I am the Rit. I am Mike Freeland, habitually late and sometimes not even there at all. Thank you for stopping by. Special edition of Front Row Material. Tune in Tuesday. See you then. <laughs>